used to have one at one of the churches I was in. And that used to go all over the place. Sometimes I finish preaching with it somewhere up here. So uh, it comes from being very oddly shaped in all sorts of ways. So how are we doing? You bought all your Christmas cards? No, sorry. You sent all your Christmas cards. You bought all your Christmas presents? Done. Done? Yeah, yeah. Uh, how many people have already had a Christmas dinner this Christmas? Yeah, 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 yeah. And so it goes on and on and on. Well, I've got news for you. We're finishing Hebrews this morning. Uh, don't blame me, blame Andy. The, the Christmas Grinch, that's the word, Grinch. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, we're coming to that part of the book of Hebrews where we'll kind of finish today and then it'll be picked up again sometime later next year. Uh, uh, you've got the excitement next year of numbers. Yeah, okay. So I get to finish this part of the series. Uh, but I, I want you to think of it in the context of, of Christmas, in the context of Advent, because Jesus came... Jesus came to save us, isn't that good? Yeah? He is the Savior. To you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. The whole book of Hebrews is about how that Savior uh, brought about the salvation. So let me read um, from Hebrews chapter 7. We're beginning at verse 23 today and going on to chapter 8, verse 2. Um, just for context for anybody who hasn't been here for the whole series, uh, there's just been a whole lot of writing about why Jesus is a superior priest and high priest to the high priests of the Jewish legalistic system uh, that people were being tempted to return to. So that's the context when we pick it up in, in verse 23. Now, there have been many of those priests since death prevented them from continuing in office. But because Jesus lives forever, he has a permanent priesthood. Therefore, he is able to save completely those who come to God through him because he always lives to intercede for them. Such a high priest truly meets our need, one who is holy, blameless, pure, set apart from sinners, exalted above the heavens. Unlike the other high priests, he does not need to offer sacrifices day after day, first for his own sins and then for the sins of the people. He sacrificed for their sins once for all when he offered himself. For the law appoints as high priests men in their weakness, but the oath which came after the law appointed the Son who has been made perfect forever. Now the main point of what we're saying is this. We do have such a high priest who has sat down at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heaven and who serves in the sanctuary, the true tabernacle, set up by the Lord, not by a mere human being. If you're like me, if you've been following this series all the way through, the interesting point is, because the writer repeats himself, or the main thrust of what he's saying over and over again, when we get to a passage like that, we're going, yeah, 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 got that, got that, got that before, got that, got that. It's incredible. What he's writing about is incredible. So I just want to, first of all, excuse me a second, got to move that out of the way first. Um, what I want to first of all do is, is tell you something which is obvious, which is a bit uh, of a consolidation of something we've learned before. In fact, Joel two weeks ago was, was astonishing, I thought, in the way he, he unpacked the whole business of the, uh, the completed nature of salvation. Yeah. So I just want to kind of reiterate that. 
And then we're going to go off at a slight tangent. Don't worry, I don't, ha don't have to be asked to preach again, except I already have been, so that's all right. Yeah, yeah. But, but bear with me. Bear with me, because I'm quite excited about what I believe God's given me to say today. But let's just think, first of all, this salvation that this babe of Bethlehem, of whose birth we're about to celebrate, brought about, is literally once for all, done deal. That's it. Finito, complete. You got the point, yeah? Unlike Old Testament sacrifices, the sacrifice of Jesus was once for all. It was never to be repeated, could not be repeated, and nothing more was or ever can be needed for salvation. The sacrifice of Jesus on the cross was enough. Okay, all right. Let's say it again. His death, his blood, paid the price of sin in full and provides total unqualified atonement for sin. Absolutely no argument. Still with me? Okay. It's done. <laughs> and therefore the priesthood of Jesus is permanent. Permanent. The priesthood, that which links God to humankind and humankind to God, that constant bridge is permanent. You know what permanent means, don't you? Always. Forever and ever. So complete is this that Jesus has sat down at the Father's right hand, we're told. Now, uh, we have a garden at home, and uh, I, I've had to learn to hate gardening less than I used to. Uh, because there's quite a bit of garden. I'm getting into it. But one thing I've learned is once you get into the task you're doing, being mowing the lawn, or even worse, worse the last few months, raking leaves incessantly and tipping them back over the fence that they came from. I don't mean next door. It was cancelled. <laughs> or, or putting them in the brown bin. And it, just, uh, it just goes on and on. And I learned that I do not sit down back in my chair until the job is finished. You know why? Because if I sit in the chair, I won't get up again. Okay. Now, that's not why Jesus sat down at the right hand of the Father. Okay, that's not. But it is in the sense of what's being declared here is the job is finished. Jesus has sat down at his Father's right hand on the throne at the right hand of the Father. It's done! By now, you're getting the point of this part of the sermon. It's completed. Absolutely. Totally. Oh yeah, yeah. we, we know Jesus is still to return in power and glory, but, but that's about judgment and kingdom. It's not about atonement because atonement is done. And if you are in Christ this morning, if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, you are totally forgiven and nothing can ever change that. Oh, you excited yet? So, in the light of all this, Jesus, who has always been holy, is now holy and exalted at the Father's right hand. He's been restored to his rightful place. That's where he really belongs. His sacrifice has been accepted by the Father. It's good enough. 
Jesus is fully vindicated and is to be worshipped and adored alongside Father and Holy Spirit. So hear it again, hear it again before we move on. The sacrifice of Jesus is enough. <coughs> Once we truly put our trust in Jesus Christ as our only hope of salvation, we are accepted, we are forgiven, we are clothed in the righteousness of Jesus Christ and absolutely guaranteed an eternity with the Lord. It's a done deal that's called grace. You get what you don't deserve. Thank the Lord for that. Do you think? <sighs> now so far you're thinking, yeah, I can see all that in the passage. Um, I wonder if you think that by the time I've finished <laughs> this morning for the rest. What the writer says is that this Jesus, because of his status, is able to save completely those who come to the Father through him. Completely, excuse me. Completely. The old versions say, to the uttermost. And I like that. I like that idea, the uttermost. It's, it's impossible to speak of any further, even think of any further. Totally completely. That's what Jesus does. We used to sing a song in my Salvation Army days when I was young, to the uttermost he saves. Yeah, it wouldn't go down well today. It has, it has kind of three verses, I think, written by a guy called Slater, uh, and it just tells the, the whole point of salvation. You know where it finishes? It finishes with the centrality of holiness of life. Because Jesus didn't just come to save us from the penalty of sin. He came to save us from the power of sin. He came to offer us victorious Christian living. One of the main requests of, of Jesus, of his Father, you know, we're told he ever lives and intercedes. That's what the Bible says. We've just read it. One of the main requests Jesus said he was going to make of his Father is that he would send the Holy Spirit. He would send another comforter, one just like him. Jesus asked that of his Father. <laughs> the, the whole central point of, of Jesus going to heaven was so that the Holy Spirit could come to be with us and live in us. The salvation Jesus offers is a total package. We're saved in order to walk in holiness. You think, really? Okay. Well, let me read from 2 Peter chapter 1. From verse 3, this is what Peter says. Talking of God, his divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Through these he has given us his very great and precious promises so that through them you may participate in the divine nature, having escaped the corruption of in the world caused by evil desires. For this reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness and to goodness knowledge and to knowledge self-control and to self-control perseverance and to perseverance godliness and to godliness mutual affection and to mutual affection love. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But whoever does not have them is short-sighted and blind, forgetting that they have been cleansed from their past sins. 
You hear what Peter's saying here? His divine power has given to you and me, if we're believers in Jesus Christ, everything we need to live a godly life. Wow. Now salvation is certainly having a much deeper context than just, oh, thank you, God, I'm rescued from hell. I'm rescued from the consequences of sin, and if I, if I just keep my head down long enough, I might get to heaven. Salvation has suddenly become about living this life, uh, uh, demonstrating to a world out there the transformation that Jesus brings about. This side of heaven will not always get it right. I understand that. But you know the Bible teaches us that we're meant to be getting it more right. As we grow in the Christian faith, as we mature in the Christian faith, we're meant to be growing in holiness. We're being transformed from one degree of glory to another. We're being transformed into the image of Jesus Christ. That's the purpose of salvation. It isn't to save us so we can just sort of dangle around there for a while until, oh, there we are in heaven. It's to utterly transform us from the inside out. That we should be holy people bringing honor to the Lord. The Bible does not use grace as a context for us to accept defeat. If you prefer, it uses grace as a springboard to practical holiness. Now, as a child, and even now, I have to say, I hate the circus. I do not like circuses. I remember going when I was young once and being terrified. The noise, the color, the razzmatazz, it, it's not my scene at all. But the trapeze, wow. Boy, did that capture my imagination. The whole kind of idea of somebody being able to stand on this little platform and then kind of launch off and do a triple somersault midair and catch the person. And I always remember when I first saw that, looking down and thinking, thank God there's a safety net there. Now, bear with me. You see, when I was young, and even now, but when I was young in particular, there's something within me don't ask me why, it's bizarre, and Rachel shares it, uh, that makes me think I can fly. <laughs> I, I don't mean, you know. But I used to have to, I'd get to the top of a staircase or whatever, and there's an instinct which made me think, all I need to do is go like that, and I'll be fine. <laughs> You'd be pleased to know I never did. <laughs> but there were occasions when I had to remind myself I couldn't. And, and even now, as I grow older, there are times when I feel as if I could quite easily just rise to the top of this room and look down on it all. It, to me, it would be the most natural thing in the world. I know you think I'm bonkers, all right? All right. But it might explain why the trapeze caught my imagination. <laughs> this idea of people flying through the air. Wow, that must be astonishing. The safety net of the trampoline is there so people can fly, yeah? Grace is not there as a safety net so people can use it as a trampoline. It's there to catch us when we're flying. 
In other words, the context of grace is the safety. So we can go and do things in God's strength and with God and for him that defy human imagination and defy logic and go far beyond what we could ever do in ourselves. But because of our weakness, we know and we're frightened that maybe we'll, we'll blow it one day. And the net is there. It really is. The arms of grace, the, the grace of God, but they're not there so we can kind of bounce up and down them and say, oh, yeah, I'm just a sinner. I'll never be anything else than a sinner. They're there to enable us to have the security of growing in holiness, growing in effective work for God, doing things for him that we, we never believed we could possibly do. That's what grace is for. I've been in churches over the years, or in, I mean, not churches, I've been a member of, but I've, I've been at churches over the years where grace has been taught as a kind of trampoline. Well, you know, you, you, you're just going to sin this week. You're going to sin when you get home. You're going to sin tomorrow. Thank God for grace, you know. Now, there's a measure of truth in that. I understand that. But that's not what God calls us to. What God calls us to is victory over sin. And not only that the Bible tells us, he's given us everything we need for it in the Holy Spirit. We are called to go on being filled with the Spirit, to live by the Spirit, to keep in step with the Spirit. And this is the key to the whole thing. It really is. Now I want to get personal now. Uh, briefly, I, I'll uh, forgive the presumption in getting a bit personal, but uh, most of you will know that uh, come Wednesday, I'll be 70. Yeah, I know you're thinking you don't look 70. Well, I wish you were thinking you don't look 70, yes, that's right. Uh, and yesterday we had a big party uh, at our house. We had loads of family, 25 is all crammed into our house. So it was just great to have the family together, just fantastic, and some friends as well. Absolutely wonderful. But you know what I realized when I was, as I was, you get to certain key points in your life, you kind of reflect a bit uh, about what's been going on, don't you? As I was preparing this sermon, uh, in the context of knowing that my 70th birthday is coming up, I discovered something. I discovered I've been flying. Not literally, obviously. But spiritually, that's what I've been doing for many, many years. This um, timid, awkward child, who is still by nature astonishingly cautious, has been involved in building and rebuilding churches, leading others to faith, bringing physical, miraculous healing, restoring marriages, praying at the bedside of dying people, and much, much more. And all this is impossible nonsense, but for the grace of God, but for the Holy Spirit. Whatever your theology, just bear with me. I was baptized in the Holy Spirit when I was 18, uh, just before I went to Bible college. The transformation that brought about was quite remarkable. Uh, other experiences of the Holy Spirit have also been quite remarkable. Transformation experiences is God's helped me and, and given me more of what I need. But if you'd, seriously, if you'd looked at me before those days and thought, uh, this guy's going to be involved in all those things I've just mentioned. You'd have thought it a joke. You really would. 
Now all this, even though all too often I've come crashing down, all too often I've let God down, uh, and I haven't been as I should, and I haven't uh, pursued him as I should, and I've fallen into that great safety net of the arms of grace. And I've got two regrets. One is that sometimes I took too long to start flying again. One is I thought I'd blown it. Thank God for grace. That's it now. I can never, I can never serve again. Can't grow from here, can you? And it's a lie. The point of the safety net is so you can get back up the ladder and start flying again. I wish I'd started flying earlier in those situations. And the other regret is this. I wish I'd have tried a few more trapeze tricks on the journey. What I mean by that is, I wish I'd gone out to live more with God. I wish I'd reached out in faith more and trusted him more and sought to be involved in greater vision. Those are the things I wish. So all I'm saying to you, and particularly to younger ones, but please, the rest of you keep your ears open because it doesn't mean just for younger ones. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, start to fly. Don't, don't settle. Don't settle for the, well, you know, it's inevitable, you'll just be a bit of a failure most of the time. Don't settle. Start to fly. There are loads of limits on what you can do. All this nonsense, you know, people say, oh, well, you know, follow your dream, you can achieve anything. That's garbage. And we have a whole bunch of young adults out there who've tried to follow their dream and haven't achieved what they wanted to do and they're totally disillusioned. That is garbage. But, loads of limits on what you can do, but there's not a single limit about what God, uh, on what God can do through you. Not a single limit. And he can and does use the most unlikely people and grow from a poor background, the holiest of lives, from very unlikely material. Yeah. Now imagine yourself, Christian. You're up there on that little platform. And your job is to jump and catch that bar. Now, just a little illustration. To show you how ridiculous that is, spiritually, I've been doing that all my life. In real life, in the physical life, you know, I don't even jump in a swimming pool. Yeah, just not built that way. But in the world of the spirit, oh. Okay, you with me? You still with me? Yeah? Salvation's a done deal. Start to fly because that net of grace is a safety net, not a trampoline. Get on with visionary exploits with God. One final thing. The Bible then talks about Jesus uh, being installed in the true tabernacle. Uh, the tabernacle was the tent, you know. Moses was instructed to get this tent done where God could be amongst his people and uh, the representation of God's presence was behind that curtain in the Holy of Holies. And that then became established in the Temple of Jerusalem as a principle. Most of you have been through all that with us and, and, and you know what I'm talking about. I wonder why a tent... See, the, the writer of the Hebrews is eager to point out that 
All that stuff is just a picture of a bigger reality. And the bigger reality is where Jesus is now, with the Father, the holiest of all places. But the curtain's still gone. In Jesus, access is free. But why, ta why tent? Why does the writer of Hebrews use tent and not temple? I don't know for sure, but it, it got to me that the tent is on the move, it's not static. And then I began to think about how this applies to where we are now as the Church of Jesus Christ, because 1 Corinthians 3.16 tells us that uh, you yourselves are God's temple. Paul right into a church like ours. You yourselves are God's temple, and God's Spirit lives among you. Oh, so, so if people out there want to find God today, where are they going to find him geographically? The answer is where God's people are. Ooh, that's interesting. And, and then you get a passage like uh, 2 Peter, and Peter writing to the church, as, as you come to him, the living stone, rejected by humans but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Uh, you know, one of the definitions of the church is the house of God, where God lives, yeah? yeah? Okay, then let me take you back. I haven't got time to read the passage, but in Genesis 28, from verse 10 to 22, you have that amazing experience that Jacob had. You know, Jacob was a funny character. God gave him some great experiences. So he's, he's there at night, and he has this, this kind of visionary dream of a ladder more like a staircase, really, staircase, going up to heaven. And in the dream, he sees angels coming down and going up and coming down and going up and going down and coming up. And what does he call the place? He calls the place Bethel. And what does Bethel mean? It means house of God. Now, bear with me in this, because it's really important. To understand what the church is and is meant to be, we need to understand that we are the linkage point between the true tabernacle in glory where Jesus is permanently at the right hand of God the Father. Barriers gone. We are that linkage point to the rest of the world. We are where the glory of God can be encountered if we get it right. We are the place where the ministering angels come and go and come and go and come and go bringing God's grace to a world out there. Now, if you're not excited by that, I haven't explained it well enough. But it, ex it just excites the life out of me. That's what we're called to be. We're called to be an access point to the true heavenly tabernacle, the nearest place on earth where people can encounter the glory of God. <sighs> now, do you expect that? When, when we come together to worship on a Sunday, do you expect to encounter the glory of God? Why not? There's no barrier. All that is in glory now is ours. To experience. By grace. We are to be where the glory of God is revealed. Yeah, I know there are earthly limitations to it and human limitations. I'm not suggesting, you know, that we will just meander around as if we're permanently in, in this kind of beatific state of woo. But I am suggesting we should be getting more like that as the glory of God changes us. So 
Regent Chapel, Church of Jesus Christ, do you realize what we are? Do you really realize what we are? We are Bethel. We are the house of God. Do you realize what our calling is? Oh. So, I'm done now. just want to finish by saying this. Believer, if that's you, salvation is complete, done, finished, nothing to add. If you're in Christ, you're his, yeah? Then, believer, start to fly. In personal holiness, in, in aspiring to be the best for God, in serving him and going out on a limb for him in faith, start to fly. You can do it safely because grace is there. But it's only there to catch you. Not there to play with. But church too, we're called to go out on a limb with God, using our security in him that others might see his glory. So come on people. It's time to reveal our glory. It's time to fly with God. It's time to raise our vision and raise our sights and raise our expectations of what we can be individually and together for him. Uh, William Carey was known as the father of modern missions. He was a, a Baptist guy in the days when Baptist churches were not particularly missionary-minded. They were very kind of gripped in a particular kind of Calvinism. And they, uh, once when he stood up before the Baptist authorities with his plan to go to India as a missionary, the, the response was uh, from one of the, the committee members. He said, young man, sit down. If God wants to save the heathen, he can do it without your help. All right? But he wouldn't sit down, and he wouldn't give up, and he once preached a sermon in which he said something which people have, some people have objected to. He said this. He said, expect great things from God. Attempt great things for God. And many Christians don't like the last bit. How, how can we attempt great things for God? God doesn't need our great things. Yes, he does. But they only work together, that phrase, you see. God has given us everything we need for a life of godliness. It's time to reach out. Time to take hold of what he's given us and live in his light and fly. But thank God that underneath, underneath is that great safety net of grace. I'm going to pray, after we've prayed, um, we're going to sing before communion. Uh, this is my fault, all right? Rachel didn't choose this song, I did. I thought, what can we sing which would just lift us, right? And it goes back a bit. Some of you will remember, I am a new creation, no more in condemnation, here in the grace of God I stand. Do you remember it, some of you? Yeah. Listen, you're meant to enjoy singing it. And as you're singing it, if you've got a, as good imagination as some of you should have, just, just begin to think of yourself flying with God. Eh? And I will praise you, Lord, and I will sing of all that you have done. A joy that knows no limit, a lightness in my spirit. Here in the grace of God, I stand. Thanks, Rachel. Oh, I've got to pray, wasn't I? Forgot to pray. <gasps> I need more flying lessons. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you that grace enables us to be secure and security 
enables us to reach out in faith and to live in faith, to really seek to fly for you and with you. Teaches your ways. Teaches to be better at being your people. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.